Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Birmingham, Alabama, it's time for Birmingham Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Birmingham Business Radio. We are broadcasting live from the Innovation Depot, and we want to give a shout out to Devin Laney and his crew here at the Innovation Depot for opening up his space and introducing us to some bright, passionate business folks and entrepreneurs. A little bit later in this first segment, we're going to get a chance to visit with the founder and president of Icebox Coffee. Lee, I know you're excited about that. This is why we really came. <laughs> this is, hey, this was the draw, uh, uh, Miss Bibi Goodrich. But first up on Birmingham Business Radio this morning, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce from Blondin Bioscience, Mr. Brad Spencer and Kate Hayden. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Yes, thank you. Well, Brad, uh, you're the CEO, so can you share a little bit about Blondin? Uh, what are you guys doing for folks? What's your mission and purpose? Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, Well, Blondin is working to capitalize on some technology that Kate was a part of that has come out of UAB. Uh, UAB is a uh, very active uh, science and research university, and uh, three of the founding uh, members of this firm were scientists there and professors, and uh, they work in oncology. So this is cancer-related research. We have, uh, we believe, discovered a biomarker in the blood that Uh, simply put, is an indication of cancer cell death. And so after a diagnosis of cancer, then we will sample blood and have what we think is a very rapid response as to the efficacy of the chemo or the radiation, whatever your treatment might be. So now UAB, are they part of Innovation Depot? Is that why you're housed here? Like, what's the connection there? UAB is part of Innovation Depot in that they are a uh, a sponsor. And, you know, this is a great launching pad for UAB technology. So commercializing what the scientists at UAB come up with is part of the mission here at Innovation Depot. And without Innovation Depot, I don't know what Blondin would have done. I mean, we needed a place to go uh, bigger than an academic lab. Mm -hmm. And this has been a great spot for us. Now, the discovery of this marker, uh, was it the impetus for? Did it predate launching the company, or did you launch the company, and this was one of the early fruits of, of that effort? It, you, uh, your first part was correct. Mm-hmm. The science was discovered. Uh, IP was filed around it uh, by the UAB Research Foundation, and then we're licensing that from the Research Foundation. So we are uh, working to do this domestically and internationally as well. So what do you need? Are you, are you looking for more funding, more clinical trials, more people? What do you need? All the we'll, we'll take all of that, <laughs> sure. Uh, Kate can speak to kind of what we could use in the lab, but I'll just say uh, quickly, we just received last month our first uh, NIH grant. And so yes. Congratulations. We, uh, well, Kate was a major part of putting the application together. We submitted it, and we'll be working on a two-year study for prostate cancer. And that's what we're uh, actively gearing up for now. We've got folks uh, ready to get in the lab and do the work. Uh, the equipment's on the way. We're unpacking boxes every day, it seems like. And, um, but from there, we would like to uh, go to other cancer types. We believe that the technology uh, is applicable not just to prostate cancer, but to all solid tumor cancers. And so to be able to address breast, colorectal, lung you know, keep going, ovarian, brain. So we we believe that we'll start with prostate, but then we'd like to quickly get to the other cancer types. So now, Kate, can you share a little bit about your role? 
Right, yeah, so my role came in, I was still a graduate student at chemistry in UAB when I started working on this project. Um, it was one of those ideas that kind of surfaced out of the beauty between collaboration between different scientists with very different backgrounds at very different points of their careers, mm -hmm. right? It just sort of metamorphosized out of that. Mine with the background in analytical chemistry, um, I was able to come in with a background of FDA validation, CLIA lab validation, to come in and help validate this method so that we can put that stamp of approval on it when we market this to oncologists and pharmaceutical companies in the future. So and right now I'm also um, an assistant professor at Birmingham Southern College, so I can bring that entrepreneurial background to the chemistry department mm -hmm. at BSC to give my students that different perspective on what does it mean to do with your degree after school and how you can put that to work for you in your careers. So now at this stage, um, I believe one of your things is learning from failure. That's right. Mm -hmm. I would guess there's more failure than not in your world, right? Yeah. yeah one of the things <laughs> that is great to work with scientists uh, for is because they understand and celebrate failure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so many people... That's a good lesson for entrepreneurs as well. It's a great <laughs> lesson for entrepreneurs. And we've got uh, shirts that um, a buddy of mine in Cincinnati has in his marketing research firm, and it says uh, fail at the top, and underneath it, it says the birthplace of brilliance. And so we think a lot of trying and closing doors and then figuring out what works. And so one of the things we did a year or so ago was enter a business plan competition and made it to the final six firms, and we were the only one of the six to not get funding. And we realized, gosh, we're not doing a great job of telling our story uh -huh. if we're one of six instead of, you know, six of six. Um, and it helped us get better at talking about this. And I guess good enough that the NIH thought, well, let's uh, give them a chance. So uh, for the benefit of Lee, who's not quite as scientific minded as I am, the, the great advantage in this marker is early detection, early identification. Is that the... Go can ahead, Kate. Can I answer yeah, this? Please. Yeah. So right now, the where the assay is going to be poised is actually during treatment. So you're diagnosed with prostate cancer and you start your first round of treatment. Well, normally it's going to take you about 10 to 11 weeks to determine whether or not the treatment worked. So that may take two or three uh, rounds of chemotherapy. So that's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. And you're... It's, brutal for the individual that's oh, it's, going it's through so, it. And their it's family. It's killing their, all this, like right. chemo is not right. exactly I mean, people you know, like a laser put, beam, right? Yeah, people put second or third mortgages on their homes, right. risking, you know, paying the high rates for, you know, chemotherapy treatments, and they don't even know if it works. So what we can do is when the cancer cells are dying, if the treatment is being effective, we can detect that in the blood within 24 to 72 hours. Of right? the first treatment? After the first treatment. Wow. So it collapses that wait that's time. Great immensely. And I think typically, you know, it takes a patient about three different treatment regimens before we get to an effective treatment. So if it was three treatment regimens over eight to 10 weeks per treatment, we can collapse what took six months down to three months. Now, does it matter what stage of cancer they have? Well, that's something we need to explore. I, you know, we have to see are there different baselines and the release of the biomarker from the tumor. Um, you know, obviously more tumor, more biomarker. Um, so that's something. And it's all going to be very personalized, right? Everybody's going to have different levels and when they're at their different stages and the different types of cancer. So this is why we need to do clinical trials for every cancer type, right? So our first one's prostate. Next, is we're it, What's the rationale of that? Is that an easier one to deal with or is there, it's a slower moving one, right? It's a slower moving 
one, it has very high survivability. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of patients who are diagnosed. It's one of the few cancers that screen for early and caught early, right? Uh, your most survivable cancers being cervical, colon, prostate, breast, because we routinely screen for them early. Right. Whereas um, some of like a lung cancer, that's you usually catch that much later on. and After seizures are right. spread, and yes. And... Um, and so, you know, eventually our next cancer that we're going to tackle is non-small cell, non-small cell lung cancer, um, followed by breast and brain. Um, I really want to tackle um, pancreatic cancer because it has such an aggressive timeline after diagnosis that mm-hmm. most patients either die before they can even start their first round of treatment or they have to have a very aggressive procedure. Right. Um, so this might give insurance companies a reason to say, hey, let's try a very aggressive chemotherapy, see if it works before we do the treatment, I mean, the surgery. You know, one of the things that uh, the oncology community is looking at via uh, ASCO, the um, medical uh, trade organization for oncologists, is to sort of put together a matrix of cost-benefit relationships for different meds on the market. And as the cost of, you know, medicines goes up, uh, increasingly, you know, some uh, medicines are over $100,000 a year now. And ASCO, yeah, ASCO is looking to give uh, patients and practitioners and payers sort of a scorecard as to, you know, what works and, and what are you going to pay for it. Now, is this because of Obamacare? No, this is happening well before. This is not really payer dependent. This is more uh, what's the list price you then have to figure in, you know, what your healthcare benefits will do with that. But it's, gosh, if this is a $100,000 a year treatment, but the benefit looks like only on average three months of increased survivability. Is it worth it? Is then? it worth it? Right. Is it worth it? So outside of t-shirt sales, at this very moment, mm-hmm. your pre-market mm-hmm. pre-revenue is, is that accurate? And if so, how do you, how do you stay motivated? How do you you well, help each other? Being stay pre-revenue excited? will motivate you. <laughs> well, that's an excellent point. <laughs> We're pretty motivated to get to revenue, and there is a company that uh, is really interesting, and, and they're a few years ahead of us. We're not competitors, but they've got a great model. It's at, they're out of Madison, Wisconsin. It's called Exact Sciences, and they uh, did what I think we would like to do also, which is first um, go to a uh, large either a pharma or a device company that sees the promise and do work with them before then getting to the clinical market. So now is there, uh, what's the benefit like a, a device company versus pharma? Isn't the time to market shorter in device? Typically it is. This is not a therapeutic, um, mm-hmm. you know, treatment. And so, but for pharma, as they look for ways to collapse the time it takes to get a uh, medicine approved into market, this is a way to do that. So instead of their having to look at images to determine if, their uh, med is affecting the tumor, they'll be able to look at the count of the bud, of the blood and the, the biomarker in the blood. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, I'd like to switch gears for a moment and learn a little bit more about Innovation Depot. Uh, almost my entire frame of reference for Innovation Depot is uh, we were doing similar broadcast down in Pensacola, Florida. Okay. And Kelly Reeser down there with the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship said, oh, you got to get in touch with Devin Laney. You guys need to be doing this up in Birmingham. You know, here's his name. Here's his contact info. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how the Innovation Depot uh, thing came about and how you're how you're leveraging it 
Well, sure. Now, Devin would be the right one to tell the story of how Innovation Depot came about. But do you know that you're sitting in an old Sears and Roebuck store? I did not know that. Okay, so that's what this was years ago. And there are people, you know, maybe a generation uh, older than I am that used to shop here. It was never my Sears uh, of choice. But, (laughs) um, you know, so the city and the public and private partnership did a fantastic job of transforming this big, structurally sound building into a place that houses, I believe, 90-plus companies and 600 or so employees across the 90-plus companies. And if not for this, you know, we'd be scattered all over the city, who knows, or or not scattered at all. But what this gives us then is a place to be, to collaborate, to brainstorm. The halls must be, I mean, there must be a lot of IQ points walking around here, huh, Kate? Right? I mean, do you find that, that companies do collaborate and mash up and maybe if one company doesn't quite work out, they hook up and do something? Is that, that happens? Oh, that definitely happens. You yeah. know, it's one of the things, yeah, when Steve Jobs was uh, building the first Pixar building, he put all the bathrooms in the center of the building so that folks would have to bump into each <laughs> other funny. and have to talk. And that kind of happens here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you, so there's examples like you've um, been able to work with other people in the here. Have you actually had that occur? Go Okay. Do you want to, we're a little early to be collaborating with people yet, but we're talking and um, there are other folks building assays that, you know, have said, well, look, we can help you with this. Mm-hmm. We're just on the front end of getting our lab open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, and, and from my aspect of being, a professor at Birmingham Southern, you know, being able to talk to these companies and get to these companies, I've been able to provide a lot of internship opportunities. Um, actually, you know, BB came, y'all will talk to her in just right. a minute, you know, because of our relationship at the Innovation Depot and she knew us in our company. Oh, wow. I was able to get her and she, you know, graciously donated coffee to one of our student <laughs> events um, to talk about Innovation Depot and the companies here that they can work with. Well, just so you know, BB doesn't know this yet, but uh, she's already our official coffee sponsor. <laughs> Congratulations, BB. <laughs> we haven't even tasted her coffee. We'll formalize that in a little bit. <laughs> so, talk to me a little bit about uh, both of you. I'd like to hear your perspective. The day to day, like uh, you know, after after this broadcast, you're going to go back and do. So, what are you guys doing day to day? With your time. Well, you want to talk about what we're doing at 11 o'clock. We have a uh, Skype call with two of the founders who are in Finland right now. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to review. Uh, we typically do that weekly, but now we're going to do it uh, biweekly this time. So there's a lot to talk about. We mm-hmm. um, just reviewed kind of actual to budget yesterday for where we are uh, this far into the grant. <clears throat> and uh, we're pleased to, it looks like we've got what we need to do what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, this really is a startup phase right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've got samples that just came in and they're in the fridge and I was going to start prepping those as soon as we were done with this meeting with the technician uh, for an instrument we like to purchase. And then there's a great gym here. So afterward, I'll go (laughs) work out, um, you know, get that in. You got to make time for yourself. You know, one of the things that we're also just kicking off as part of the grant then is collecting the samples. We uh, Uh. would like 50 patients being treated for uh, uh, we were hoping for. uh, metastatic prostate cancer. So a little later stage mm-hmm. and that's happening now. So now, uh, is that one of the, do you need to get to those 50 or you already have identified the 50? No, no, we're starting to collect the samples now. Just, uh-huh. but so you have the people, you just are collecting samples, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so, um, what's the most rewarding part of the, this uh, adventure for you so far? Uh, it's easily the promise of being able to reduce the cancer burden for the the patient and the patient's family. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a fellow, a journalist from Fortune, Clifton Leaf, who wrote a book called um, 
uh, the name escapes me now, but he talks about um, the cancer burden being more than just the medical piece, the emotional piece, the financial piece, how it affects loved ones. Right. And to uh, meaningfully uh, reduce the amount of time people wonder if their treatment's going to work, there, for breast cancer, there are 12 effective pathways. So if the first one doesn't work, there are 11 other options. You want to know quickly. And you want to just go through that, as qu- right? To well, find you wouldn't a- be able to go through your options looking at an image of the tumor, but you can go through it quickly with the biomarker. Right. And so that's the beauty of this, that's is that you can kind of condense time. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the title of his book is The Truth in Small Doses, which is what the government used to tell oncologists back in the 50s. Don't tell the patient everything about cancer. They can't handle it. You'll have to give them the truth in small doses. Right. Uh-huh. Wow. And then those, you know, there's always those patients who choose not to do chemo, right? Because they, they don't, you know, it, it's too much time. It's too much cost to my family. I mean, that's something my dad did. You know, right. he was diagnosed with um, metastatic brain cancer with 17 tumors in his brain. So he just didn't do it. He didn't even want to try cancer. He wanted the better quality of life. He didn't want to wait, didn't want to spend that money on that. Mm-hmm. And so... And then prostate, a lot of people have this kind of, there's a wait strategy too, right? And wait until it gets... Watch, watchful waiting. Right. Watchful waiting. Isn't that mm-hmm. one? Of, yes. And so this would impact that as well. Then yeah. they can make more intelligent decisions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, definitely. And, and if it's a, a treatment that's too aggressive and isn't working, we can stop it before you do two or three more rounds. Right. Um, because every moment you're, you know, have that chemo bag attached to you, it's killing lots of stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a poison. I mean, and it, <laughs> I mean, I, do you think at some point we're going to look back at chemo as like leeches back in? <laughs> I mean, really? Well, it, no, you, you asked a great question. In fact, there's uh, currently um, a lot of money now chasing cells that kill cells, right? Mm-hmm. So there are cells in the body that can be activated to kill cancer cells as opposed to the introduction of chemicals to kill cancer cells. Right, mm-hmm. because it's not just killing cancer cells. Isn't this like an... Like oh, it's killing also a oh, lot of cells. Right, yeah. it's... it's uh, well, I'm biased yeah. in that regard. Well, and being a chemist, I believe in better living through chemistry. So I don't want to say chemo is a dirty word, but no, I'm, not I saying, think, I'm saying it's I think best the smarter what use we of got, it. right? Right. I'm, it's king of the hill today. It is, but it is. at some point, you know, so, like wasn't like letting people bleed was king of the hill at right. one point in time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Immunotherapy is a a big part of uh, mm-hmm. upcoming treatment, and mm-hmm. so yeah, you're exactly right. So um, for people who want to learn more, is there a website for you guys? There is. It's blondinbioscience.com. And that's B-L-O-N-D-I-N bioscience.com. That's exactly right. And um, on the site, what can they find? Well, they'll learn more about the founders, and they'll learn more about this first assay. It's called FACT is the name of the assay, and we're looking forward to talking to more people about it. We know there are uh, patients who will benefit from this technology. We simply have to get it to the point where it's safe to administer. Well, before we let you go, uh, I want to make sure that I declare openly and on air, I just uh, have so much respect for the work you guys are doing. You're clearly beginning to hit your stride. Uh, I wish you all the success in the world, and I have no doubt that you're going to continue to enjoy it. By the same token, this is not my first rodeo. I've hung out with a few entrepreneurs in my day, and I know it's not all rainbows and unicorns. So before we wrap, I, I wonder if uh, I might ask you to share, and I'm going to ask Kate to share first, and uh, and then you, Brad, uh, a lesson or two, if any, that you might share with budding entrepreneurs, maybe something that surprised you, something to do or, or not do. Uh, if you'd be willing to do that, I think our, our listeners would find that real 
valuable. Kate, uh, anything come to mind for you? Yeah. Um, so when I started with Blondin, I was a graduate student. I had a stipend. Everything was secure. But I also have a two-year-old son. And when I came up to finish school, you know, Blondin didn't have any a grant or any funding. You know, I, I needed a paycheck. And there was a couple times I had to waffle and decide if I go into industry and get a job in industry, I may have to cut ties with Blondin because that would be conflict of interest with the other company I ended up at. And it was a hard struggle. I'm very fortunate that I landed the position that I did in academia that does allow me to continue my work with Blondin. And I think there was one time Brad and I had a conversation about me stepping back and not having an active role in Blondin anymore. And it struggled. And I, you know, I constantly remembered, oh gosh, Breaking Bad, right? You know, um, <laughs> that's what Walter your, White's that's downfall, <laughs> right? Was that he sold his shares of his company in grad school and as a postdoc, and he continually regretted it to the point that he destroyed his life and his family's wow, life. So he's a role model. For you. Almost like what not to do. Stick with it or you'll end up a meth dealer with Look, no family. Go either way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's touch and go for a little. See, I was right. That is definitely <laughs> worth sharing with our listeners. Well, uh, well thank you so much, uh, Kate. And we got to have you guys back before too long. And I look forward to checking back in with you and seeing how the science is going, how the business aspect is uh, going. Uh, Brad, what, if anything, might you share? You know, um, I don't have a, uh, I don't think I have a Breaking Bad story to share with you. <laughs> That's a hard act to follow. I got maybe say. Sopranos will have some <laughs> other. Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm not going to really be able to link to uh, popular culture as well. But I think what um, the lesson for me from what we've been doing here is to be patient and to believe, if you believe in what you're doing, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. I mean, it would have been really easy when, after we presented. Um, and right, when you were the one that didn't The one that didn't it, get right? funded, it would have been easy to go, well, this isn't going to work yeah. out. But it, instead, for us, it was, like, you know what? double down, Yeah, right? exactly right. So there's a, uh, a psychologist, the, psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, Martin Seligman, who talks about learned optimism. Right. And it's, uh, that was kind of, you know, we've got that. The team has a lot It's of, the belief is there. Right, right. Right. And if you get bad news, it just makes you work harder. Right. That's great. I absolutely cannot imagine having a better, more informative, more inspiring interview to launch our Birmingham Business Radio program. This, yep. this has been uh, this has been incredible. Thank well, you so no, much. No, thanks for having us. Absolutely, I, we appreciate it. Hey, listen, how about hanging out with us for a little while uh, while we visit with our next guest? I'd love to. I like Kate's story. <laughs> I like Kate as a person. <laughs> All right. Next up on Birmingham Business Radio, we have with us the founder and president of Icebox Coffee. Please join me in welcoming to the program, Miss Bibi Goodrich. How are you? I'm I'm well. How are you guys? I am doing well. Did Did you learn anything as you were listening into that uh, that last segment? I learned too much. I feel like I should shut down Icebox while I'm ahead. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a slippery slope from here. So, Icebox, can you share a little bit about what you guys are up to? Yeah, we manufacture liquid coffee. So if you like espresso, you like yes. cold brew, iced hot, we're doing that. We're doing it upstairs at Innovation Depot. And when you asked earlier about collaborating, I would say because of Innovation Depot, we're actually succeeding. Um, Brad is a coach of ours. He failed to mention that earlier. He was plugging <laughs> himself way too much. <laughs> but he has coached us through some opportunities. Tech Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Scagellum has coached us through. Y'all should get her on the air. She will make right. you feel bad about yourself because she is incredible. <laughs> and then um, Good People Brewery, which used to be here. They're down the street. Stop by afterwards. They have done a lot to help our business grow. So, so talk, talk about um, your brewing process and why cold brew is different or better. Or- yeah. So I was thinking about this a lot last night, and I thought to myself, 
If I were Italian and I offered you pasta, you'd say yes and you would think it was the best, right? Absolutely. If I were French and I brought you pastries. I'm from New Orleans, which means I know coffee better than anybody else okay. inherently. <laughs> that is just, that's a fact. <laughs> Trust me, you should check that out on the internet. It's on Google. But anyways. Has Brad been helping you with your confidence? <laughs> There's no self-esteem issues No self-esteem here. issues. I'm one of three girls, so you have to really learn quickly to defend yourself. And I'm the smallest of the litter. And so in the event, growing up in New Orleans, coffee was such an integral part of my life that when I moved here and wasn't able to find an equivalent cup of coffee to what I was used to, mm-hmm. not only the coffee my parents produced, but what you find in places like Cafe Du Monde or PJ's Coffee Shop. Sure. Have you all made it down to New Absolutely. Orleans? Oh, yeah. I grew up in Pensacola. Oh, okay. So yeah. exactly. So you got this great coffee culture. You walk away from that, right. come to Birmingham, which at the time I thought was the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and you get here and there's nothing like it as an budding entrepreneur the only thing to do is go make it that's right and so we set out to make coffee what we do is truly take really big buckets like you would get a home depot paint bucket fill it with coffee and let it sit for 20 hours and then filter it four times and bottle it and you get the equivalent of an espresso shot and so it's low acid cold brewed which is really trendy right now but rather than being trendy, which isn't necessarily a recipe for a long-term success story, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we are we're rooted in the culture of New Orleans. So now this cold brew, how do you, how do you guys um, package it? So it's sold in a bottle, a jar. What does it look like? You got some here. I do. Oh. It's show and tell time. It's a shame right. we're on the radio. It looks, the, the the bottle looks very. It has kind of a science <laughs> look to it a little bit. Is that Brad's Pes- doing? pesticide? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's called a twin twin neck bottle, and okay. it's perfect for a product like ours because, as I mentioned, it's a concentrate. So what you're going to do every time you fill the chamber, for those who can't see the bottle, it has a measure and pour system. Right. And that allows you to dispense exactly like if you were at Starbucks and they're pulling shots off of the espresso machine. You utilize that as the base to your beverage. And so you have to think of this as a form of a liquid K-cup, essentially. What Keurig has done for the home consumer, right. we're taking it a step further. And now what we're doing is we're providing you quality. So com- Keurig provided you convenience right. at a multi-billion dollar level. Congratulations. We're <laughs> going to provide you quality and convenience. And hopefully one day we'll get to uh, Keurig size. Okay. So uh, tell me what happens. I got this. I'm going to describe the bottle. It's a bottle. It has two kind of not uh, places. It's got a, it has a doohickey where you can where you can measure the thing. Right, but there's two holes at the top. Right. So so what happens? I'm going to talk me through this, BB. Absolutely. So s- take off a cap. Go, We're going to start there. Sample it. <laughs> well, I, I want you to do it. We don't have to pour it in, do we? Is that okay? To do? All right. Don't pour it on your equipment. That would be bad. Uh, <laughs> so you pull off the chamber. Oxygen comes out and fills up with coffee instead, correct? Right, yes. And you're going to dispense that into the bottom of your cup, and you'll fill it with water or milk and ice. But we drink our coffee straight shots. Can I drink it right out of there? Yeah, go for it. Can you enjoy Mm -hmm. it hot? Yes, sir. Okay, walk walk, walk me through that. Because, like, at at my house, we're big coffee people. We have the espresso machine, the whole bit. um, My my girls, my wife and my two girls, they enjoy all of the colder coffee drinks, and I enjoy the hot. So we could both utilize this, this product. Yeah, so this is like um, what the radio was in the 20s, right? This right. is like how the family's going to gather around this <laughs> bottle of icebox. I can nice. see. I'm excited and about so it. So you're going to take this bottle, 
and you're going to say to your wife, I love you so much that this morning I'm going to make you an iced coffee with whipped cream on top and you're going to do that. Then you're going to be exhausted from that experience and you're going to take <laughs> that same bottle, put an ounce in the bottom of a cup and fill it with water and nuke it for a minute and a half in the microwave and then you're going to sit back and enjoy your coffee in the newspaper. Oh, very nice. In yeah. fact, I have the little thing that shoots the hot water, so I might not even have to nuke it, right? There I you could go. just shoot the hot water in it. But you can drink it straight out of there. <laughs> I think you should. Lee will still get up to like a... Like I, is a, is like that an, an espresso idea. shot? Yes. Yeah, that's So that's like one shot. ounce. Is that one on the right, an ounce size? Yes, sir. So that's one ounce of espresso, just like you would get a shot of espresso. Which you never do, incidentally. Just to give you some frame of reference, BB, before we went on air, he made me order him what he calls a quad, which I is like four, four shots. shots. So that's why he's a little... I have to get in the right frame of mind to do this job. Right now. All right. Love the product. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I hope you don't forget to take this with me. Um, so I'm going to send it over here for safekeeping. Um, you're a budding entrepreneur. This is your first shot at this thing, right? This uh, is. You've, you've not run a business before. Or have you? Or have you? I have not. You so have what not. were you doing before? Prior to this, so when we were doing the pre-op for this radio interview, one of you guys said, you're the NPR of business, right? Yes. So my journey was the NPR of NPR. I worked for the federal <laughs> government. <laughs> I worked for a nonprofit. I worked in a lot of wonderful arenas, but ones that don't necessarily focus on generating income or producing. Rather, it's more of a charity. I love the federal government, <laughs> no wiretapping, but truly the, the federal government is set up to serve, right. charities are set up to serve, Icebox is set up to serve, but we're set up to serve while impacting the community around us by creating opportunity Correct. through employment, through you know, supporting other businesses right. by taking on their resources. And so Icebox is my opportunity to see if, can I actually make something rather than take? So what's your vision of this? My vision for Icebox, so it's, it started out to prove that it could be done. Okay. Now the objective is to create a sustainable business in the sense sustainable, long-lasting, not um, sustainably sourced, but sustainable business that can support jobs and then support future entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. We have a program called Pay It Forward okay. where we allocate a portion of our proceeds to give grants to other Entrepreneur. So, for example, one young lady needed a camera. She was a photojournalist, wanted to start her own documentary of the food and culture of the Southeast. Okay. So we gave her a grant to go out, buy her camera, and then create her own opportunity with it. We've employed someone who we've given a grant to to start his own janitorial business. Our goal at Icebox is to create the best coffee out there, the most convenient solution, but then take that and turn it into more. Uh, a success story here would result in more entrepreneurs, more businesses, more small businesses being created throughout our area. And, and the way that you're helping is you're taking proceeds and funding those businesses. Correct. So we have to look out for ourselves first, right? You well, have to feed your own family. Right. You put the <laughs> oxygen mask on yourself before you put on your <laughs> yeah. plane, right? They tell you that on the plane, <laughs> right? That's what they say. So now, in your, okay, so part of your world is you're selling this direct to consumers? We're, we have three revenue channels right now. Okay. We sell into grocery stores, so your Atlanta audience can buy it in Whole Foods. You can buy it oh, out wow. in Texas. So that bottle is at Whole Foods. Yes. Whole Foods has, uh, we have eight SKUs in the marketplace right now. So SKU is products. We have eight products in the marketplace. So there's eight versions of different flavors? What different is flavors, size, packaging. We have a ready-to-drink, so like a Coca-Cola can. We have a product similar so what's, to that. So how many ounces is that? You have that too? 
Man, you we got, have I'm like Mary Poppins over here. <laughs> it's like this keeps popping out of it. Yeah, so we have this. So that's a flavored. Do you have uh, unflavored? I mean, just like coffee flavor. This we, is Madagascar mm-hmm. vanilla. Why would you go with anything it's vanilla. else? It's Madagascar vanilla. This is fantastic. <laughs> what, what other flavors do you have? We have decaf New Orleans blend, which Nobody I would buys consider. Decaf, right? Surprisingly not. <laughs> <laughs> that's surprising? It is, if, if you're you going to drink coffee, you're drinking coffee. Go for it, right? right? Go go big or go What home. do you drink? I surprisingly only drink one cup of coffee a day. I drink two ounces so of nat- ice box naturally every caffeinated? I have two kids <laughs> under the age of two. I, have, <laughs> I think there's something going on in my life that's keeping me going. So How do you, how do you juggle that, though? I mean, that is a uh, tremendous responsibility. As a, as a father of two, I have, have some credibility um, and, and some experience with that, how do you juggle being a, a mother of two and doing Entrepreneur. this? So since I texted my family to tell them we would be on air, I would like to give everyone a <laughs> shout, shout out. out. <laughs> uh, I think it definitely requires a good balance, but entrepreneurship lends itself well to that. If you're organized enough to run a business and get it off the ground and adjust, then you can be a really successful parent too, presumably. And then so far, since like you said, this is your first adventure here, What's been the most rewarding part of it? <laughs> TBD. Uh, I think the most report, rewarding well, yeah, I part. I mean, the mouse has to get the cheese occasionally. It's hard to get fired up every day. Um, yeah, right? I, I think I get fired up because I walk in and I have four gentlemen that come to work for pretty much little to no pay. They might as well volunteer their time because that's what it equates to. But they come in and they come in jazzed up. They come in ready to work. We don't miss orders. We're leading the industry in our in our segment, right? In the Southeast, we're doing an exceptionally good job. We're growing in food service and on the web. And it's being done by four people who had no direct skills related to this before. So as I mentioned, um, or Kate mentioned earlier on the radio, we had a guy intern from Birmingham Southern College mm-hmm. here in Birmingham. Hmm. He interned for two days, and he's now our marketing manager. Is <laughs> <laughs> that for past <laughs> advancement? Yeah. And for your audience who is business-centric, he is the equivalent of... Hank Reardon in um, Atlas Shrugged. He's got that right. <laughs> I said that to someone and they said, you need to put that in a bottle and sell that. But that is the kind of person that's coming here. And I think it's because in small organizations like ours, especially when you have relatively unskilled people like myself leading it. Well, you're not unskilled. I have unique skills that maybe don't lend themselves to solving cancer, right? <laughs> we're not. But what we're doing is giving opportunity and illustrating that everyone's capable. Right. And so your next milestone, and I, I got to tell you, I am so impressed. I had no idea. I thought you might have aspirations to one day have this in a Whole Foods or something. Uh, so you've obviously accomplished a great deal. But what's the next big milestone for you, you think? Uh, for us, there's a revenue number that we would like to hit. Mm-hmm. And it's how do you get there? Do you get there through e-commerce? Our category, you mentioned your coffee drinker, cold brewed coffee is having its moment right now. In the last two to three years, probably 25 companies have popped up like really? ours. I like to think I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> I, I like, but um, does with that the, bring you comfort or fear? It brings me comfort because <laughs> the category is growing. Validated, right? Yes, it's been validated. So now it's a, it's can we get to the volume we need, critical mm-hmm. mass, in order to stick around? At some point, the gentlemen who are lending their time to Icebox, they, you know, getting paid pennies on the dollar, are are looking for new opportunities. And can we really grow a business? There's so much more to it than 
Right. When I set out on day one, my I had one goal in mind, and it was to grow to X revenue and be number one. And then you, the day you decide to open your business, all that goes out the window. <laughs> you just want to make sure you pay your bills, you have your products. So right. It's been fun. And then it's, uh, so you came from a more, I guess, government environment to this kind of eat what you kill environment, yeah. which is a big shift, right, in your, in your thinking. Has that been better for the worse or? Well, fortunately, the, the back backstory is I come from multi-generational, of highly efficient and effective women. So my mother uh, runs her own law firm. My grandmother owned and ran an optical shop and her grandmother. So, uh, so I, kind right, of entrepreneurial. So right? why did we go into government? <laughs> is, uh, so you were the black sheep for black that, sheep. right? Yeah, we should have. My sisters, my sisters dabbled in that space as well. So somebody was pushing us there. But we come from a family of hardworking people. And right. so the expectation growing up, and this is my favorite story. I was really good at soccer, but I played soccer with my right foot which if your daughters may have played soccer. Yes, they did. Okay, so a lot of people play with their right foot. Mm -hmm. My dad said, well, that's wonderful, but you need to learn to be the best with your left foot. Everybody does their right foot. So I learned to be the best soccer player with my left foot. Then it was like, okay, well, how can you run faster? Right? It was always something more because (laughs) being ordinary wasn't really an option in our household. And it wasn't like we lined up against the wall and got lashes. <laughs> but we come from but a that high was the energy, culture, high, right? Yeah, high achievers, high energy, right? As parents, you guys have put a lot into your kids, and Absolutely. so as their chi- as offspring of wonderful parents, Christmas is coming in six months. <laughs> <laughs> Keep plugging myself here. But as the children of wonderful uh, parents, it's our responsibility to keep moving forward and give to other people right. what has been given to us. And that seems like the culture of the company you're building is one of supporting the community and being supportive of your people and not just the, you know, selling more coffee, but doing good for the whole community. Absolutely. Um, to much whom is given much is expected. And I think that's the mindset at Icebox. We got an incredible product, but the product in and of itself isn't going to provide jobs. You have to have the infrastructure, you right. have to have the leadership and the mentality that you're going to go out there and win. And you're going to sell primarily through direct sales to individuals as well as to retail establishments? Yes, and then food service. So if you have um, a desire for incredible iced coffee at your favorite restaurant, you should let them know about Icebox. Mm -hmm. You can go online effective next week. We'll have subscription models, so it will come to your door on a regular basis, and you'll never have to put another ounce of energy in. And that's iceboxcoffee.com? Yes, sir. Well, it has been an absolute delight having you on the broadcast, that, uh, and I am looking forward to drinking some of this coffee, maybe in a few minutes, but if not, then I'm going to hit the Whole Foods. <laughs> well, I, thank you, guys. Thank you all for that. coming to Birmingham. Oh, uh, sure. We're fortunate to have the exposure, so thank you. Well, we are delighted to do it, and uh, just as I suggested in the last segment, uh, I want to have you back on the show sometime. I think it might be fun to, to have you back on the show with a uh, with some sort of a, a market alliance partner or a, a local client, and maybe talk to them from their perspective, or maybe somebody on your team. So, will you come back and visit with us sometime? Yes, only if they say nothing but positive things. <laughs> that could be that could be really bad. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll try to pre-vet them for no you. No doubt. Okay. Well, thank you guys. <laughs> sure. Uh, one more time. Uh, where can folks go to to learn more uh, right now? Visit iceboxcoffee.com, and you can always check it out at your local grocer as well. All right. Well, for Lee Cantor, this is Stone Payton. We will be back in a few from the Innovation Depot in Birmingham. 